here tonight needs no introduction. Dr. Pratt is well known to us, having served as interim pastor here and has preached here many, many times. Um, I first got to know Richard back when I was vice president for academics at Covenant Seminary. He actually came and taught prophets for us at Covenant Seminary. Uh, and for 16 years or so now, um, I've loved what Richard has done. He spoke for me in Hattiesburg. He spoke, he's spoken here. We've supported Third Millennial Ministries, of which he is the co-founder, president, and CEO of. Um, the mission of Third Millennium is so important and so powerful. Um, theological education for the world for free. Uh, and um, they are all throughout the world. And I hope before he begins teaching tonight, he'll give us just a brief update of where things stand uh, with Third Millennium Ministries. You know him. You love him. Let's welcome him. Thanks, Richard. Hi, everybody. Can you hear me okay? I'm so glad to be with you. Thank you very much for coming out tonight. And um, I saw some photographs of this meeting. You have more people here than I realized from the photographs. If you look at them online, they don't, there's like three people. Okay? I don't know. Somebody, you need a better photographer, okay? Um, Sean asked me maybe to say just a few words about what's been going on in my life as the, the uh, front door, I guess you'd say, of Third Millennium Ministries. Can you say that three times really fast? Third Millennium Ministries, Third Millennium Ministries. Good, it's good. Um, the, what we do in this ministry that I was actually working with while I was here as your interim is that we provide biblical education, the kind you would want your pastors to have. Did you hear that? The kind of education in the Bible you would want your pastor to have biblical education for the world, and we don't mean a part of it, we mean all of it, for the entire world, for free, and we really mean that part too. And I, just to give you a sense of what's going on, these days, I can tell you this, I'm, this is not a missionary story, so I'm not speaking evangelistically here, okay? No stretching the truth here. Just sort of telling you exactly what's true. Snap it back to reality. It's going to be hard for you to believe some of these things. But just to give you a sense of this, we know for a fact that we have students of a variety of sorts in over 120 countries now. That's pretty good. Say, oh, you just go, oh, really? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we, <laughs> I gotta, gotta cue you. Don't I gotta cue you, don't I? If I do this, you go, <gasps> okay. And um, we, we, have, we work in 22 languages now. Ah, oh, yeah, 22 languages. Can you believe that? Heck, gone, I didn't know Richard knew 22 languages. I don't know 22 languages. But we do, we do work in a number of languages, 22 to be exact at this point. And we're on our way to 34. 44 is the magic number. That's when I can die. So 22. So you can either want that to go fast or you can want it to go slow. It's up to you how fast you want to see me die. Okay, okay, and then uh, we also know that we're being, we have 233, now the official number, 233 partner ministries that are a part of our global network. Yeah, a wide spectrum of these, like local churches and Bible schools and seminaries and a few universities that offer courses using our materials as well as satellite television and radio stations all around the world. Ah, for example, in Indonesia, we are, thank you very much, you're getting it. Um, for example, in Indonesia, 
this is it. This is a really an amazing act of God. For the last eight years, Third Mills curriculum has been broadcast on television in Indonesia 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in English, Mandarin, Chinese, and Indonesian. Rotate and rotate and rotate for eight years. Isn't that amazing? That's just kind of like, might, like, I never thought that would happen, but it actually did happen. And so it's a great gift from God to be able to serve a ministry like that. We now have 62, I think is the last number I heard, 62 employees at Third Mill, and they're scattered all over the world as well as in Orlando. And um, I don't think we have anybody in Tennessee that I can think of off the top of my head. But, you know, if you want to join, come on. Um, and so the Lord is just blessing that effort. And I tell you that so you can rejoice because you may not realize it, but this church has been very instrumental in supporting Third Mill both financially and with your prayers and your concerns. And it means a great deal to me. Several of you came up to me tonight and just said that you appreciate the letters you get and things like that. So there are ways to find out about us. And we're just grateful to the Lord for you. I am personally grateful to the Lord for you because you still, I feel like I'm kind of home here. Okay, and if it weren't for COVID, I would really act like I'm home here. But at this point, we're kind of pulling back from each other. But we just really do appreciate you and are, you're very kind. Um, we're going to be talking tonight about the justice of God. Did you know that? And you still came? How come I didn't get the love of God, Sean? So like, put Richard last and give him the hardest one, right? Is that the idea? Yeah, I think that, was, that really was the plan. Do you have Bibles? If you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me, please, to Deuteronomy. Does that surprise you? It's Old Testament. Deuteronomy and chapter 32, Deuteronomy chapter 32. And what, I, what I'll do for you as we get ready to read this passage, just a couple of verses, is for me just to tell you that God has given the law to Israel as they are standing on the edge of the promised land, ready to go into the promised land. And Moses has delivered this law. He's understood the law. It's been spelled out in great detail in earlier chapters here, but around verse 19 of chapter 31, God says the only way they're going to remember all of this is if you write a song, Moses, and teach them how to sing it. And you know that's true, right? You can remember songs when you can't remember anything else, right? Okay, it's Bible, so don't be upset if that's true for you. It's in the Bible. So God tells Moses to write it in a song and teach them to sing this song, then maybe they'll remember so with that in mind, we're just going to read the first few verses, and then we'll pray, and then we'll head right into it. Chapter 32, verse 1. Let's, um, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. Let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, Ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Let's pray together. Our Lord God in heaven, we bow before you. Just and right are you. Our God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases, and all that he does is pure and just. 
We honor you for this, but we confess to you that as we contemplate what your justice is and what implications it has for our lives, that we are at times befuddled. We just don't know what to think or how to handle this part of your word. It's not something we hear about a lot. It's not something we reflect on in our personal lives. And so we're praying now that you will send Holy Spirit to us. May he come and teach us. May we learn this truth and be set free by it, by your Holy Spirit's work. And as you do this, we will give you the praise and we will honor you for it. Amen. Every parent, every grandparent at some time or another has heard a child say, a young child say, that's not fair. Right? And you know what they mean by that. They don't like something that's going on. And it doesn't feel like it's fair. Maybe somebody got an extra scoop of ice cream or the red sucker instead of the blue green sucker, whatever it might be. That's not fair. Okay, well, you know, you can take that for a while and you can try to explain it to them why it is okay that they got the red one rather than the green one. But occasionally, you just kind of get frustrated with it all. And every father, I can tell, just looking around here, every father said this. Because you want to cut the conversation off real fast so it doesn't mean anything. And so you know what you say, right? You say, life isn't fair. How many of you have heard that and said that? Yeah, I hate to tell you this, but life just isn't fair. Life is not just, and yes, it is not fair. You follow that? And we just sort of settle with that and assume that that's got to be true as the way life appears to our children and frankly, it's the way life often appears to us too, doesn't it? It just isn't fair. It just isn't right. It just isn't just. Now that's what children do with it. But it's a very serious issue as well when you realize that the world is full of injustice and the injustices, the unfairness of life on this planet, does reflect on the God who created and who runs the planet right now. Back in the old days, when Ed Norton talked me and Gina into going to Poland to do street evangelism, back in 1902, wasn't it, Ed? I think it feels like it, doesn't it? In 1985, uh, we went over there, did street evangelism with Ed Norton. We called it our European trip with Ed. And, um, well... At, in doing that, we were constantly running into people that had been trained up in Poland as Marxists. They were trained up in their schools to think like Marxists and to respond to Christian, Christianity and religion and things like that from a Marxist point of view. And it was almost inevitable that when you stop and sit down and talk with someone, that they would say, I'm an atheist. And they would say then back to us, of course, something like, how can you possibly believe in God? Well, we were going, what do you mean? How can we possibly believe in God? We're wondering the same thing about you. How could you possibly believe there's not a God? Well, the reason they asked that question of us was, as you kind of investigated it with them, was this. They would say to us over and over again, there cannot be a God who controls all things and who is good and just. And, of course, we would go, why not? Well, because the world is full of evil and injustice. And he's either not in control of it or he is not just. Say amen, somebody. 
You follow it? Now we're talking about something serious, not a green or a red sucker anymore. We're talking about the kind of look, ways of looking at the world and thinking about religion and thinking about faith that challenge us right down to the core. And that is the fact that if God is in control of the whole world and the world is full of injustices as it is, then how in the world can we say with a straight face, our God is just? If you can't answer that question, you need to get an answer for yourself. Well, why does that question even come up? In fact, it's not just Marxists who came up with those kinds of arguments against Christianity. All kinds of people did. You've heard of their names before, David Hume and others like that. But it's also something that you can find in your own neighborhood, and you can even find it in your own life, that there are times when things happen that make you go, you know, I just don't get this. If there's a God, then why is this happening to me? You ever felt that way before? I know I have. And you sound to other people often like you're like that little child complaining about the green sucker instead of the red sucker. It's just not fair. It's just not fair. Well, the reason for this is because we have something inside of us, the seed of religion, the revelation of God in all people, that helps us understand, you know, the world ought to be a just place. And God, we're told from the Bible anyway, is just himself. So these two things are not quite fitting together the way you might think that they would. Well, this passage we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 32 is a great passage for dealing with this reality. It sort of sets us up. So let me tell you what's going on here. You remember that this is near the end of Moses' life. In fact, he dies just a chapter or two later here in this book. And as he's prepared Israel to go to the promised land all the way back in the days of Egypt, and then they're marching through the wilderness and all kinds of troubles come, all kinds of terrible things happen to them. Some good things, some bad things. The earth swallows you up, opens and swallows you up. That's kind of a bad thing. Say yes, please, somebody. Okay, you know, you get matter from heaven, that's kind of a good thing. But life was not um, grand for them as they were marching through the wilderness. And they had people attacking them all the time. And yet they had made it. And they had done their very best to get as far as they had gotten. The first generation had died. The second generation is now on the edge of this promised land. And now Moses has just read to them all the blessings they will receive all the great blessings they will receive if they are faithful to him, and all this long list of terrible curses that will come upon them if they are unfaithful to him. And this is why God says, all right, write a song, teach them how to sing it so they won't forget about it. And here is the problem. The problem is that in all of those curses that are in the chapters just prior to this are threats against their children. You know, Israelites, you're doing pretty good right now. Now, in the past, you've had some trouble, but you're doing okay right now, Moses says, and God says through Moses. But what I'm concerned about is what's going to happen to your children because when they get into that land and things are going well for them, you know what they're going to do? They're going to forget me, God. They're going to forget about me. And when that happens, let me tell you something. You think the earth opening up and swallowing you in the middle of the wilderness was bad? Just wait till you see what I do to you. It's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be crazy. 
You're not just going to be defeated. You're going to be defeated by enemies, and eventually the enemies will take you and your children out of this promised land and off into other countries for the longest period of time. Now, hearing that kind of thing, how would you feel if a prophet of God told you that those are the kinds of things that were probably going to happen to your children or your dear grandchildren? You might want that to happen to your children, but what about your grandchildren? Would you feel good about it? You wouldn't, would you? And so this song starts off in verses um, 1 and 2, talking about we're going to talk about how great God is. We're going to ascribe to him that we're going to proclaim that he is great, greatness to our God. But then the greatness that Moses focuses on in verse 4 is this. The rock, that's God, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness, without iniquity, just and upright is he. In other words, Israel, learn the lesson. No matter what happens to you or to your children or their children, no matter what occurs, no matter how hard it is and how terrible it is, you must approach it with this deep-seated conviction. Our God is just. Now, I have to admit to you that in many respects, this theme of the justice of God, it's a hard one for us to take very seriously. I know that everybody in the room here today has had personal tragedies where you probably feel very disappointed that God let things go the way they did, and you might, you might occasionally go to the point where you compare your life with somebody else's and say, you know, I don't understand why it would be that God would let that happen, those good things happen to them, and this terrible thing happened to me. We can get that far. And at times we might even say, that's not fair, and I don't get it, God, I don't understand why you're doing this. But very few of us in this room have even been close to people who have experienced the kind of tragedies, widespread, horrific tragedies that Moses is talking about happening to the Israelites. And so few of us have really been forced to ask the very hard and difficult question, is God actually just? Can I actually believe that anymore, given everything that's been going on in my life? Well, what sorts of things cause people like you and me to come close to that question or come close to the point where we say, you know, I just can't believe that God is just the way the world is today. I just can't believe it. What kinds of things trouble us and might even tempt you to deny the justice of God? They would be things like these. For example, sometimes we think that God is putting out, reacting too little to the things that are going on and other times we think he's putting out and reacting too much to the things that are going on. You know how it is. You know how it is. Lord, I know I did a bad thing, but did I really need to lose my job over that? Lord, I know I did a bad thing, but I'm still better than my next door neighbor over there. And so, Lord, I just think you're a little bit too strict with me. None of us in this room would say we're perfect, I'm sure. But we could all say to ourselves, you know, I'm doing compared to the rest of the world, compared to the Taliban, pretty good, aren't you? So why would it be that I, 
would suffer at the hands of God in a way that my next-door neighbor or my friend who is not even trying to follow the ways of Christ is not suffering. And when that becomes so powerful in your life, you can be filled with envy, you can be filled with frustration toward your God, and you can even get to the point of accusing God himself of being evil. Maybe you've come close to that at some point because of some personal tragedy that's gone on in your life. It's understandable. In fact, Psalm 73 talks about, you know that psalm, it talks about, I was looking at the rich people, and man, their lives are all together. Everything's working out fine with them. They don't love God. They don't try to love their neighbor. They don't follow the ways of God, but they're doing so well, and I was envious of them. I could not stand the thought of it. How come they're having such a good life, and I'm over here doing my very best to serve the Lord of heaven and earth, and my life is miserable while theirs is happy? Haven't you ever felt that before? Go ahead and embrace it because we're going to get to some resolution here in a minute. And if you, can't, if you cannot admit to yourself that that's the way you feel from time to time, we're not going to be able to get a solution. God does, from our point of view, seem to be unfair. That's one of the reasons why we often feel this way. Another reason is because we often feel as if God is either acting too slow or too fast in reaction to the things that people do. And you know how that goes. If you've been working hard in your career, and you've been praying, and you've been trying to be faithful to your spouse, and you've been working hard with the kids, and all these sorts of things, and yet your business isn't quite doing it, you're not getting the kinds of blessings you thought you were going to get, too slow, God, too slow. And then on the other hand, You mess up one time and all of a sudden things are falling apart all around you too fast, too fast. This is exactly why Christians and Israelites in the Bible often ask God this question, how long, O Lord? And if you've ever asked that question, you might have felt guilty. When I was growing up, my mother used to tell me there are two questions you never ask God. The first one is, why? Why are you doing this? And the second one is, how much longer are you going to keep on doing this to me? Don't ever ask how long. Don't ever ask why. Those questions are asked of God a lot in the Bible. So if you've ever wondered, how come it is that I am experiencing things from God's hands or from my circumstances that just don't seem to fit with who I am, and you feel like you want to say, Lord, how much longer do I have to put up with this husband of mine? How much longer do I have to endure my children and their waywardness? How much longer do I have to deal with this disease that's hurting me? My back, my leg, my children, my work, everything around me. How long, O Lord? Well, don't feel like you're out of sorts with faithful, spiritual people. Because Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10 tells us plainly that right now, the martyrs, the Christian martyrs of heaven who are at the altar of God in heaven are crying out, how long, O Lord? How long until you avenge our blood on the earth? How long? They're crying it out in heaven. Shouldn't you feel as if you need to cry that out sometimes? Did you get that reference? 
Sammy, did you get that reference? Revelation 6, verse 10. If they're crying that out in heaven, you should know that part of your vocabulary in relating to God is how long, how long. All right, so let's get out of our narcissistic, uh, upper-middle-class American lifestyle here. Let's get out of it for a minute and just kind of imagine for a moment something that's in the news. Our brothers and sisters who, in whatever number they're there, are in Afghanistan, who went there with sacrifice to begin with, with an intention to devote themselves to the service of people all around them, who most of whom would not appreciate what they're doing, and now they're stuck in that country, and now their lives are threatened, and they're terrified for themselves, for their spouses, and for their children. How long, O oh Lord, how long? That's the kind of pain and suffering that brothers and sisters in Christ are going through every day in this world. While you and I often have comforts that sort of pad us and insulate us from those kinds of sufferings, we have brothers and sisters all around the world who are going through that kind of pain and that kind of suffering. And this is why there are precious passages in the Bible like 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, where the Apostle Paul says, don't fret about the sufferings you're going through because God is just. And he is going to send Jesus back. And when Jesus comes back, he will avenge you for every bit of suffering you have endured in this world. That was comforting to the Thessalonians because they were suffering. Not too slow, not too fast, we're saying here. It seems as if it is. And Paul says, you may have to wait until Jesus comes back again before your suffering and these injustices that are occurring to you will end. But they will end. Our problem is, we want all the pain to go away now, don't we? Don't we? We want the sense of, it's not fair to go away today. Or maybe we can take it another week or two. But please, Lord, how long, how long, how long? But the promise is that when Jesus returns, we will no longer have to cry out how long because it will be right now. Now, I have to tell you something about all of this. For me... All of this is a very difficult thing to grasp and to hold on to and to make a very practical part of my life. And I would have to say that in years before, earlier in my Christian life, in fact, not too long ago, actually, uh, part of the difficulty I had was something that the Marxist had, and it's this, that if God is going to be just, then God would have to be just in the way that I am just. In other words, everything that I think a just God would do, he better do it or he's not just. And what I discovered as I read the Bible is that that's not the Bible's attitude at all. And really in the days of the Bible, it wasn't that hard for them to get it. Because in the days of the Bible, the whole world in which they lived was a world of kings and queens and emperors and pharaohs. These are the big guys. They're the ones that are making the decisions for everybody else. 
And everybody understood that when kings and emperors would make decrees and laws for their citizens, that those decrees and laws did not bind the king himself. The king had imperial authority to be able to do things that the ordinary people of his citizenry did not have. It was his right as the king. In fact, when you read the Bible, this is exactly what the Bible tells us about our God. Our God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. Are you supposed to do whatever you please? No. You're supposed to do what he has told you to do. Our God is in heaven, and he controls all things, and no one can stop his hand. Is that true of you? No, of course not. And so we find this wonderful display of the justice of God in the Bible that you and I have a hard time connecting with because they're not the kinds of things we would do and not the kinds of things that God would want us to do. For example, you say, Richard, for example. Well, if all, anyone in this room decided on the basis of what one man did at the beginning of the human race, that the rest of the human race would be counted as sinful and condemned under the wrath of God, if anyone in this room decided that that would be true, then we would say that's unfair and unjust. So why is it just? Because God did it. He's the king. We belong to him. He owns us. He does with us what he wants to do. If any one of us said, because of the righteousness of one man in this room, everybody else in this room is righteous. People would say, wait a minute, are you telling me that somebody who's an axe murderer over here is going to be counted as righteous because of what that guy over there did? If we said yes to that, we would say, that's not fair, that's not just. But that is the great gospel message that comes in Jesus Christ, that not only because of Adam are we condemned, but because of Jesus, we are made righteous. Simply by trusting in Christ, those who are under the judgment of God are made righteous and they are the ones who are the recipients then of his mercy and of his grace. And how can God do something like that when we couldn't do such a thing as that? The answer is, it's because he is the king. He has imperial prerogative. I tried to teach that phrase to my grandson just a few weeks ago. I said, I said Caleb, if you'll just say in class, because of imperial prerogative, then the girls will really be impressed. He's in the seventh grade. He looked at me, got a big smile from him, and he tried to remember what it meant, but he couldn't get it. So I said, okay, let's do it this way. Your mom has maternal prerogative. What's that mean? Well, that means she can stay up as late as she wants to. Can you? No. No. How come she gets to stay up as late as she wants to? Because she's my mother? Yeah, because she's your mother. She has a prerogative. Well, now imagine the creator of the whole universe, the kind of prerogative he has to decide because one man sinned, the rest of us die with him. And because one man was righteous, the rest of us are righteous in him in the court of heaven. That is a good thing, and that is a holy thing, and that is a just thing. Because the God of heaven and earth has declared it so. You see, God will not measure up to human standards of justice. He will not, because those standards are false.
There's a lovely passage in the New Testament, and there are some. I know, you know, I like the Old Testament, but there are some that are really nice, okay? And um, it's, it may be one that you sort of skipped over. In Romans chapter 3, we all kind of know the verse, all is sin and comes short of the glory of God. Say, so, yeah, I've heard that one before, okay? Well, verses 25 and 26 that follow it, just a little bit down the page there. They say this, that during the days of the Old Testament, God overlooked the sins of people during the Old Testament. And the reason for that was because the great day of paying for the sins of his people had not happened yet. Only a little bit here, a little drab there. And they had to keep on sacrificing, keep on sacrificing. But God overlooked it. But then it said that God sent Jesus as a propitiation for our sins, the payment for our sins, so that God would not only be just, but the justifier. That God could freely justify people in Christ and be and demonstrate and reveal his justice in that. God has demonstrated his justice by sending Jesus to all of us in this room and saying, if you will come to him, he will forgive you of your sins and he will give you a part in the new creation that Jesus will erect when he comes back again. So whatever troubles you may have in this world, look at the grace of God, look at the justice of God, that he has opened up the way for you and me to be saved, not by trying to be better people, but by receiving the promise of God that is in Christ by faith and by faith alone. Isn't that a great gift from a just and holy God? Aren't you glad God is not just according to human standards, but rather by his own standards? Because if he were using human standards for justice, we would all be lost and without hope, dead in our sins and trespasses, game over for all of us. You see, the truth of the matter is this. We have to get to the point where we can admit to ourselves that the world we're living in is very difficult and very hard, full of all sorts of injustices. But our God in heaven is just and good and right in all of his ways. Moses told the Israelites this in Deuteronomy 32 because he knew what was coming. And that was a lot of the people he was talking to were going to see a lot of terrible things happen to their people. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't want to be too much of an alarmist here, but I'm something of an alarmist. Walgreens. I'm so glad you remembered that. I had somebody else come up to me tonight and say, I remember when you said, if, we, if this church doesn't change, um, what's going to happen? Yeah, they're going to build a Walgreens where this church stands. Remember me saying that? Sammy, do you remember that? Everybody, <laughs> can't believe you said that. Well, welcome to the world. Have you seen it yet? Have you seen that as a real possibility yet? Things are not looking good for Christianity in this country in the sense that Christianity is not highly respected anymore. It's a very hard thing to admit, but our country is moving very rapidly into what could be called nothing less than post-Christian. That Christian beliefs that you and I hold dear, are actually hated in the world. That we are looked upon as fanatics because we believe in this book, we cling to our Bibles. 
We are looked upon as fanatics, and worse than that, we are looked upon as potential terrorists because of our Christian beliefs. Now, when the world around us looks at us that way, you can just hold on for just a few more minutes, and you're going to begin to see that the world is going to come after you. We have not experienced real persecution my entire lifetime. Not in this country. We haven't really experienced it in a large measure for hundreds of years in this country. But the day is coming. And when that day comes, the question is going to be on your mind, Lord, how long? Lord, why are you doing this to me? Lord, why are you doing this to your church, to the body of Christ in the United States of America? You're going to have to deal with the reality that God is just, not when he's just treating you well, but also when things are going badly for you. Very badly. Horribly badly. Are you ready to say that our God is just even in those circumstances? I'm so glad to be able to say this, I don't know what to do. We live in a day in the United States of America today when what we could call neo-Marxism has begun to rise up. If you've not heard that expression, neo-Marxism, let me just say it's old-style Marxism, Cold War Marxism, with a spin on it. Okay, got the spin? And the spin basically was this, that old Marxism that a lot of you grew up under. I did too. I ducked under the desk. How many of you ducked under the desk? Good, great. We're desk dump, dump desk. Yeah, duck, what's the word? Duckers. duckers. There it is. Desk duckers. Do you know what that means? Okay, good, good job. You're so young. How do you know that? You haven't dug, ducked under a desk your whole life, have you? Nah, probably not. Okay, so here we are. We're people that know what Marxism in the past was, which was basically a socioeconomic class struggle. That the whole of history was looked upon as the poor versus the rich, and everything's going to be the poor are going to rise up and conquer everything. Well, it didn't work. The worldwide Marxist revolution didn't happen, did it? Happened in the Soviet Union and a few other countries, but not everywhere. And so there's this group called the Franklin Group that tried to figure out what happened. Why didn't Marxism work? And one of the reasons why Marxism, its classical form, didn't work was because there aren't enough of these utterly destitute people around. They won't rise up. There are not enough of them to rise up to have a revolution. Oh, there are poor people everywhere, but not, I mean, utterly destitute. Utterly destitute. My wife works with utterly destitute people in Orlando every single day. It's the most amazing thing in the world. But utterly destitute? No, there just aren't enough to rise up and have a revolution. So what you have to do is find other people that are also victimized and who will join or intersect with the poor and with others. And they're victims too. And together they can rise up and, yeah, win the victory. Find their way. Well, we live in a day when this is one of the most popular points of view in our country right now, especially among the younger generation. And when that is true, it's going to cause tension, it's going to cause pain, it's going to cause difficulty for you and me and others around us.
because you are going to be blamed for all the bad things that are happening in this country, and there are plenty of them. Now, here we are as people who believe that God is just, and we are also a people who are told that the justice of God is something we ought to be emulating and living out and displaying in our own lives. And so you and I have got to be concerned about seeking justice for the world as well and living in ways that are light and bright, shining the goodness of God all around us. It's going to be hard, but hold on to the justice of God and turn to your neighbors and look them in the eye and care for them as much as you possibly can within the confines of what the Bible teaches. Do not accept what the world tells you is justice. Accept what the Bible tells you is justice. If you'll do that, our Lord will be pleased and we will honor him as the true God of heaven and earth, the great and holy just one. Okay. Kids get really upset when they get the green sucker instead of the red sucker, don't they? It's not fair. Embrace that for yourself too. There are lots of things that are just not fair in your life too. And let that drive you to faith in our God, that though his thoughts are higher than ours, and we cannot, we cannot conceive of how wise and holy and good he is, so that even when bad things happen, we know he is being just. We have hard time with that. But in Christ and by his spirit, we can embrace that. And then with confidence in the goodness and the justice of God, we can look at the world around us, and we can say to the world, we will not accept your definition of what is good and what is just, but we will accept what the Bible says these things are, and we will live according to them. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, how we delight in you as our great King, our great God, and we bow before you because we are a people who live today when we think that kings and queens and royalty are just symbols, just ceremonies. But we know that our great King Jesus and the Father of heaven and earth is the great King, the true divine King who rules over all. We bow before you and we say with Moses, you are just. You are righteous in all of your ways. And we commit ourselves to that so that even when we don't understand and our hearts just cry out, how long, why, this is too much. We commit ourselves to coming back to you and bowing before you and honoring you as our great king. We pray for wisdom to resist the world and to hold on to you and to what your precious word has taught us is true justice, your hand and our hand in service to you. And as you do this, we will thank you and we will praise you for it. Amen.